When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Chelsea home game and a preview of the Brighton away game. I'm John McKenzie, the prodigal son of the podcast, returning to host a podcast like I'm David Batty or something. And I'm here with my ouster, the Tyler Adams to my Olivia Decor or something. It's Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. Didn't expect that we would be <laughs> recording this podcast uh, Yeah, following a 3-0 win against Chelsea. That, was, that put me in a... In a very good mood. Been watching a lot of highlights, um, just consuming all the content post game, really. Yeah, and it's definitely the the sort of breakout game for Jesse Marsh's system at Leeds. So, plenty of stuff to talk about in that respect. Um, we will do what we usually do, which is to go through five questions about the game and try and deconstruct it a little bit, uh, and then we will move on later to talk about Brighton. We will talk a little bit about Barnsley as well, but. Let's start off by looking back on that momentous win against Chelsea. So, first question in the interrogation for you. This was a game that was won out of possession, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's not that we didn't do anything with the ball, um, but it's really how we unsettled them with our pressing. You know, the, the first goal is is obviously... Um, it's a, that's really an individual pressing action more than it is like the system um but it's it is the principles uh of marsh uh in play there um and yeah we we just caused them a lot of uh, of problems one with with our pressing um and then i just think overall intensity of like everything that we did they did not enjoy a chaotic game at all um which is funny when you think of um when we played them under Lampard that's that was actually when Chelsea were at, at their best against us um because I think Lampard kind of slowly came to realize that his best chance to beat a Bielsa team was to embrace the chaos uh because he had better players um although obviously Chelsea easily beat us um at the end of last season I kind of felt like at that point in time it we seemed like we might be just collapsing to relegation. Obviously, we stayed up, but at the end of that game, I certainly didn't think we were staying up. 
So to see where we got to and how we unsettled them, pretty crazy. We should talk a little bit about the press because I think a lot of people just assume that intense pressing teams are the same. I think people probably assume that we're quite a high pressing team, which I mean, I think there's elements of truth to that as well. But there's there's also a sense in which we aren't a high pressing team. So do you want to talk a little bit about the way that the press is structured under Jesse Marsh? Yeah, I thought in this game particularly, it wasn't uh, that much of a high press. Obviously, like uh, we got the um, we got the goal uh, by by pressing all the way into their um, into their penalty area and pressing the keeper, um, but I think that might have been one of our only high turnovers in the game. Uh, if you know on Twitter, there's a um, a bot that people should follow that I recommend called Mark R. Oh no, just Mark Stats Bot, um, and he puts up graphics um, at the end of of every game like the big games and uh, he has a graphic from Sunday's game with high turnovers and, and Chelsea got had more high turnovers than we did I'm just trying to find it but I'm pretty sure we only got the two high turnovers no we got four and they got five but we got two leading to a shot uh, and they got none leading to a shot so I thought that's quite interesting but actually a lot of what we did was more like mid-block stuff that would then suddenly be when the moment came to spring out of that mid-block, we would be really intense in doing that and we would turn them backwards quite a lot, um, like turning back Conor, Conor Gallagher a lot, who I think really struggled to play in that deeper midfield position. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. So it's it's, it's a mid-block into a high press and yeah. you only high press in certain situations yeah um, and the idea is is that you get the opposition facing back to their goal and then you squeeze the press and you push everyone forward and and the idea is that you then squeeze them and, and try and cause problems in that way and I think also there were a few times where we kind of pinned them out wide quite well um, and forced them to then just almost boot the ball uh, and that that just went back to to us at the back. Um, there, it's not like we did that over and over again, but I, it's something that on my watch back I noted like maybe three occasions where we really like surrounded them out wide and and they just couldn't couldn't get through. Yeah, and you wanted to talk a little bit about some of the players that you thought were caused problems by this high press, right? Or intense press, I should say. Obviously, Gallagher, who I mentioned, I found it a really strange selection um, from Tuchel actually because everything that Gallagher has done well in the Premier League really was playing higher up the pitch um, and being like I mean almost like Aronson where it's a lot of what he does is runs off the ball that creates space and then he was a like he, he was more of a goal scorer than than Aronson is um, but I think it was strange to then see him given this role where he, he's basically supposed to be like a key part of build up and I, I do think if you swap out Gallagher and you have Kovacic in there, the game plays out really differently because Kovacic is like elite at dealing with pressing and he carries the ball through it. Um, whereas Gallagher just kind of looked frightened of it and, and was going backwards a lot of the time. And it's him who plays the backwards pass to Mendy, which which leads to that first goal. I also think that Koulibaly found it horrible as well. Uh, he was one of the ones that was kind of hacking it away a bit. And I, I kind of feel like, 
I, I can't say that I've watched him loads at Napoli, but I felt like his reputation was was better than that as a as a, a player with the ball at his feet. I don't know if you know more more about him playing there than me. I mean, yeah, I would agree, but I, I, there's a big difference, I suppose, between that level of intensity and what you're going to face in uh, in Serie A last season. And I, I guess the big story of last season with Serie A was that Milan won the league by playing quite intense football for for the league. So uh, I do think that's probably an interesting aspect. I suppose the other interesting aspect is is that Thomas Tuchel is a manager who developed in the Bundesliga and yet didn't seem to have any answers to a high Gagan pressing approach, despite the fact that, I mean, he would be thrown into that group of coaches who've ex- experienced it in some senses. He was, I think, coached by Ralph Rangnick at Stuttgart or somewhere when he was playing. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so thoughts on Tuckle's game plan? Because, I mean, we talked a lot in the preview about this being a tempo issue, and I, I, I sort of thought that I'd analyse the game quite well in this perspective but on the watch back I did think that Chelsea were getting forward quicker than they usually did they did get the ball into some areas that could have caused us some problems so maybe maybe my um, my, my take that this was going to be a tempo issue was was wrong but what was your take on Tuchel's approach to this game? I think you did get it like I see what you're saying because there were a few moments like where um, there's that Mason Mount chance in the first half where essentially so this came from one where we were pressing them pretty well and we were really forcing them back and it looked like we were about to win the ball high up and then they managed to basically just bang a ball forwards and Havertz won a flick on and Mount was then running at our at our defence with just like two players back. He gets into the box and gets a low shot, which Melier saved. I felt that that was the kind of thing that they probably needed to do that more, <laughs> like just get it quickly forwards like that more. Um, I don't think they ever kind of went as directly as that in the rest of the game. They did get the ball out wide, but never really quick enough to really expose our fullbacks. And when they did, um, they were offside. Which So I, I kind of felt like, yeah, Tyler Adams was able to get across to help out um, Strauch or, or Christensen in a way that he wasn't in previous games where we were getting attacked a little bit quicker we'll talk a little bit more about the the transitional side of things in another question but um question two we should talk a little bit about the in possession side of things so we had a question from el barker which was how do you evaluate a performance like that considering how the first two goals were produced a mistake from mendy and a set piece don't get me wrong that was great thought we did much better off the ball as well and if we consistently get goals from set pieces slash opposition errors will be more than fine but i would like to know how you felt about the on ball stuff in the game so yeah thoughts on on the on in possession stuff you wouldn't say that there were chances where we like built through them, like through the phases, uh, so to speak. Um, but the third goal is a like it's a classic Marsh goal, really. Like it's vertical play um, after Strauchs won the ball, like just over the halfway line. Um, in a way, it was quite similar to. Um, our winner against Wolves, although it it did it wasn't built in the exact same way. But how I mean that is we've we've won the ball and then we've quickly played it down into that left channel and we've got a ball across it and and then we've scored from it. Um and it's that kind of idea of um within like less than ten seconds of winning the ball, we've got into the box and got a shot. So I think those are like we have to readjust what we expect about in possession play, I think, 
Um, and this is one of those things where it's like um, our attacks are, are going to be quick like that. And it, like if you think of the first goal as well, like that's an error. Um, but also it's that thing of Aronson's put the ball into the central area. And I, I kind of don't like I think he's looking for James, but he's also not that bothered about whether it gets to James or not. It's just get it into that area and then counter press immediately. Like our on the ball stuff is in that game pretty meh. Like I can't really think of a chance that we had where we sort of built and made the chance. Perhaps that Rodrigo one in the first half where he shoots wide. But even then, like that was like a nice bit of build up. But then the pass went loose and it actually went through to Rodrigo because... Tyler Adams just chased the pass and and sort of deflected it through to Rodrigo while rather than it being like a through ball for him. So I I think it's a strange one because I think we'd all like to see more chances that are built through like 10 pass moves or so on, but I don't have that much expectation to see that at all this season really. Um so I think it's kind of as good as it, as it can be. Um, and I think we have to appreciate that the all the goals did come from the principles of Marsh's play. Like one is pressing, one is a set piece, which we know is something that he's wanted us to work harder on and he's dedicated a coach towards it. Um, and his his New York team was like known for, for scoring set pieces. Um, and then the third goal is a counter-pressing goal. So, yeah. It's um, I'm happy with what we saw, but it's just it will it's it's not flowing like overloads out out wide and third man runs and stuff like that. I guess uh, a lot of the time when we've talked about build up in the past, it's always been about repeatability, right? It's about mm. it's about producing routes and patterns of play that that you can do again and again and again. And obviously, there are patterns of play involved here, like you're saying, but. There's a little bit, as you say, there's a little just more chaos involved, right? Yeah, a lot of chaos. <laughs> the frustration there is that, like, when you're relying on chaos for things to go your way, sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. So I suppose it's it's going to be interesting in the long run seeing how that irons out in the wash because I think there will be some games where we don't get the rub of the green in, in attacking situations. And then, and then, like you say, if, if the attacking play or the build-up play is very meh, then and you're not generating much through set pieces or your counter pressures, then I guess people will start getting frustrated. But I think that's just something that will will naturally happen. And um, the, the the point I suppose at this moment of the season is that this is football that will easily keep us in the Premier League, and that's what we're looking for at the moment. Should do, yeah, should do. Right, let's move on. Question three. So let's get on to defensive transition because we had a couple of questions from people who were asking about the defensive transition. So Key asked, other than some scary transitional moments, I feel we limited them to few chances. How did we do that? And Botterham says, did we see Leeds set up in a way yesterday to nullify balls over the top, feel the back line was a little deeper than past couple of games and that we were intentionally trying to spring an offside trap? See Sterling disallowed goal, Diego Llorente stepping up perfectly. Botterham did send the Mark Stats bot uh, graphic for that as well because it does give you the defensive line height and that and it was the deepest defensive line so you've spent a bit of time working on on Tyler Adams in particular I think focusing on those defensive moments so what's your thoughts on on the transitional moments yeah I think he was really key to it um there was a couple of times where we lost the ball while we were committed forwards um I think from from set pieces 
um, corners and, and free kicks where he was almost the last man back and he was really good at slowing down um, their attacks. Um, he just positions himself really well in, in those moments and, and kind of forces them um, to turn back, to not be able to drive into that space in the centre where they, uh, they can really hurt us. Um, I also think that when they did go wide uh, in in like a more open play transition, um, they didn't do that quick enough. Like I think one of the things we felt when Wolves really put us under pressure um, is that they were switching play quite quickly uh, and getting it to Pedro Neto like early. Um, although uh, let's note the fact that even when they were doing that, they didn't create really good chances. Um, but I kind of felt more like Wolves would score than I felt like Chelsea would score um, on Sunday. Uh, and yeah, that that allowed Adams to get out and not have 2v1s against Christensen. Um, he was there so often and I, I thought that he just covered so much ground in the game. So he, that was important. But I do think that if Chelsea had played a, a little bit of a faster tempo, they might have taken him out of it because... He is an like incredibly fit player. I think he's he's faster than um, than Phillips was. So like, Phillips was a really good transitional defender. But I think that there's a, that little bit more pace that Adams has got almost makes him even better in in that kind of area. Like uh, there's been that thing going round of oh he's playing like Kante so on. Like, I think that's pushing it a little bit too far. Um, but he does kind of have the mobility defensively that I think Kante does have um, or or certainly did in, in his prime. And that just allowed him to get across. But you can still take that out of the game if you attack wide quick enough. Uh, and, I, and I just think Chelsea did play into our hands a bit uh, in that regard. Um, I also think that Chelsea um, didn't play with that kind of... Um, clinicalness that you expect like a, a an elite side to once they get into those areas so when they would did manage to get cutbacks they were coming to like Kukurea or someone like Ruben Loftus-Cheek had a had a chance from a cutback as well and both of them just made such messes of their chances that I think if they'd come to one of their better attacking players, their half chances suddenly look like much bigger chances. Um, and as regards the offside stuff, um, I think that, uh, yeah, I found that hard to hard to call because I think the Urente one where he plays Sterling off, you, you see on the like the side on angle that he does specifically step up and he times it really well. But I, I wasn't sure in the second half when they were kind of repeatedly getting caught offside, was that us like planning that and nailing it? Or was it Chelsea just getting their timings wrong? Um, I think perhaps it was a bit of both. Yeah, interesting hearing what you're saying about like clinical finishing because I feel in previous games against Chelsea we've seen that happen. Right, there's mm. like Mason Mount scored like chances from the edge of the box in many of the games that we've played in the in our recent Premier League era as well, and that was just something that didn't happen. And um, yeah, there's, there was a few chances in the first half, even despite the the really good off ball performance where you know Raheem Sterling could have could have scored early on and got through quite quickly in that way so yeah 
it it is it is what it is but i think so much of this is about being able to slow the opponent down in transition and getting back into a defensive structure um and i think that's where Tyler Adams has been great and I think that's where we did well against Chelsea in those defensive moments as well you've just got to give yourself the best chance of getting into a defensive structure and then if you concede a goal well at least you're back in that structure right they didn't have any clear chances like around or in front of the penalty spot which I I can't think of the last time we played a top team where that hasn't happened I mean let's be honest I don't know if I can actually think of of a game where that hasn't happened (laughs) for some time like Southampton, we kind of shut Southampton completely out of the game in an attacking sense, and then they got two huge chances right close to the goal uh, and draw the game. Um, Wolves, like we needed Melier to make a great one-on-one save, uh, and Chelsea didn't actually have a chance like that. Um, so, yeah, it, you can't say that we didn't defend well. You have made a video this week on Tyler Adams for the Patreon and people who haven't checked out the Patreon really should. So that's www.patreon.com forward slash A-S-A-W. Tell us about your video and we can talk a little bit about Tyler Adams in a little bit more de- detail if you want. Yeah, um, so we've talked a bit about it already um, in that I, I did some stuff on on how he was um, yeah, really making a difference in our transition defence and supporting our fullbacks so that they weren't outnumbered. But I also um, included some stuff about how he plays that kind of supporting role to to the main press, where he's like the deeper man that then pushes up. So if um, if the press is on the right-hand side and Harrison's like taken out of, of the press, we're still pressing with four players because you've got... James, Rodrigo, Aronson and then Adams coming from that that deeper position Uh, and he did that uh, repeatedly Um, and also like in in the goal, um, the first goal, he he doesn't actually even have to go and press towards um, Gallagher but he's there like ready to do so. You kind of see his role in that net that, um, that Marsh talks about where he wants to like drop the net uh, on the ball carrier. Um, and I also had a little section in on how he how he is with the ball because um, I think that's something that was a sort of an object of discussion when we were first linked with him. Like, can he actually offer something with the ball? I, I know quite a few people were just saying, oh, he's just a, a pressy guy and, and doesn't really have much. Um, I found that quite interesting to try to look at that a bit bit more because I think he. He chooses some pretty good like line breaking passes on on the ground, but I I maybe have a little bit of an issue with um, the pace that he puts on the ball when he passes it. I think he doesn't particularly like drill it into players' feet uh, or or put enough weight on it that it's easy to turn with the ball. There was one particular time where I think James could have um, like launched a counter attack and Adams. Had sort of bobbled it a bit towards him so I think that's interesting I don't know what you've made of him with the ball like he's not the most incredible progressive player but yeah what your thoughts are on on him yeah I think he's a really good ball carrier I like him holding the ball moving the ball forward but like you say I, I think sometimes his his passing can remove the value that you get from him in terms of ball carrying so he can carry the ball into good positions and then uh, and then over overplay the pass at times but I, I think that 
there's an argument to be made potentially that he's the most important player in this system as things stand, especially in a game like that where you know you're going to be doing majority out of possession stuff. I certainly thought he was actually man of the match in the game, despite the fact that it was given to, to Harrison. I would agree in, in his importance. Like if you take him out, like I I really like Forshaw and I think Forshaw was a good sub to come on and, and replace Rocker in that in that um second half. But if say for example that's Rocker and Forshaw, I don't think that the game plays out in that way. We spent a lot of time at the end of last season talking about how there was just too much space between the midfield and the attack in the in the pressing moments uh, under Marsh. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big issue that that Tyler Adams um, sorts out. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Because it's all about pressing the space, isn't it? So you do your high press and you only commit four players forwards. But then when you push really high up, you have to commit your two pivot players as well just to keep them in. Because if you don't do that, then you just leave a gaping hole between the, the attacking unit and the defensive unit, as it were. And and we saw teams last season just plundering that over and over again. Mm, yeah, there was a total... I remember you, you did a little... I think it was a thread about it on Twitter, but there was like a disconnect between like front four and back six almost. Um, and it, yeah, I don't think it's looked like that now. If you want to find out more about Tyler Adams and want to watch some tape with, with Josh annotating it and talking over it, then then do head to our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash A-S-A-W. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Right, let's move on to talk about Brighton. But before we do, there is a game coming up against Barnsley, which is, is it tonight? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about that because uh, I don't want to do a huge preview of that game, but I do think it's going to impact our preview of the Brighton game. So um, I guess my first question is, how seriously do you expect Marsh to take the cup competitions this season? Well, I think the top priority is going to be staying up in, in the league, obviously, and I feel pretty confident about that so far. Um, but I also think probably no one at the club is going to be too carried away 
um, and they they are gonna still keep that um, yeah as the main thing. But I I think they probably will take it seriously. Um, but at the same time, I think they will rotate pretty heavily. Um, and I think because of the opponent that we're facing being League One, yeah, we know you know Barnsley is a, a local rivalry. Um, but I think even our pretty rotated team should be beating them. Especially, I don't think they're even doing well uh, this season. They were certainly awful last season uh, as they got relegated from the Championship. But yeah, I, I think we'll see players like uh, Drame. If we don't, then I think he's going to be wanting to go ASAP. Uh, I think this is a chance to give Sinistera his first start. Um, I think Click. Greenwood, Gellhart, like these are these are players that are like ready to play more. They're wanting to play more, uh, and I think those players will will cause enough problems uh, for a League One team. I mean, I would like to think that it would be a comfortable victory, but we know what leads and change lineups in cups <laughs> uh, tend to produce. So let's see what happens. We haven't really talked about this at this point, but. Obviously, when you play a game like you do against Chelsea, it's hugely intense. So how do you anticipate like adding? Because we've got a few midweek games coming up in a row. To what extent do you think that adding that fixture in the midweek is going to impact the ability to be as intense as we've been? Yeah, I, I wonder if we won't be as much. Like I think we probably had to up it a little bit because you don't, for a team like us, you don't compete against Chelsea if you don't play in that. In that way, unless you want to try the low block, which I just I don't think we'll ever really see us doing the low blocks. It just doesn't suit us. Um, but I w- I would like to think that we we might be able to control the ball a bit more in this one. Although it'd be interesting to see how we actually do that um, because we don't kind of feel like a team that is built to control the ball uh, right now. Um, but equally. Any pressing that we do, I do think you're going to see a League One team struggle uh, to deal with that pressing. Um, yeah, I, I think we probably will save as many of the first eleven from this game as we can because it's a it's a real test against Brighton coming up, and I think we'll need to have our sort of high level intensity to to give ourselves a good chance against them. Yeah, so I've got a question here about you've obviously suggested that there's going to be a fairly changed lineup for this one, but how do you think that's going to affect the planning for the Brighton game? Do you think that we'll see the same starting eleven that we've seen pretty much in the last few games in the Brighton game? I think so. I think uh, like we've spoken about Rodrigo at, at, at number nine uh, on a lot of occasions, um, but I think that he was uh, good against Chelsea. Uh, in that position, probably one of his better um, performances in that position, and I think perhaps um, pressing pressing from number nine in this system suits him a little bit more than pressing as a number nine in a man marking system in that sort of plus one minus one Bielsa system, um, where he would just kind of let end up letting p- players go. In this one, he's a bit more part of a unit and his um weaknesses can be covered by elite presses like like Aronson uh to a degree so I think he's gonna be in the team again in that position even if Bamford 
uh, is fixed, I think we probably won't rush him back. Um, I think with that in mind, I don't think we would be starting him um, against Barnsley. So I think Joffy will be starting. I just think, yeah, after winning the game in the way that we did, I don't think you're going to see a change unless it's forced uh, against Brighton. So I think we'll make probably not 11 changes. I'll be surprised if it was 11 changes. But I think we'll we'll make quite a lot. And any subs that we can make uh, of those players that will have started against Chelsea, we'll probably try to take them off quickly if we can. Right, so let's start thinking about the, the Brighton game itself then. First up, just general context stuff. What's your take on Brighton so far this season? Yeah, they've had a good start, haven't they? I think they've... They've continued uh, from the progress that um, that Potter's had them on for like the last two seasons. Really, um, had a great start against against uh, Manchester United, didn't they? Um, and then I think against Newcastle they drew, but I believe they were comfortably the better team, and that's um, that's quite impressive given the the strides that Newcastle have made. Um, in the last season, not even the whole season. Um, and yeah, they they pretty comprehensively beat West Ham. So um, yeah, I, I think they're, they're looking good and they're going to be a tough opponent for us. Yeah, and in terms of being a tough opponent, what would you say the strengths and weaknesses of their approach are? What are the things that you think will cause us problems and the things that we can get at them with? Well, I think the biggest strength, I would say, is that Potter is... Uh, He's really good at changing the approach as is needed. Um, he, I feel like he has his principles, but he's not like he's not a coach that's so wedded to a specific thing that he won't make changes to just defeat any one particular opponent. Like they're a team that wants to pass the ball, build up through the thirds, but then he specifically said after the um, after the Man United game that. They wanted to go forward quickly because they knew that under Ten Hag, Man United were going to press them from the front, and so they just missed it out uh, and went went forward quickly to Welbeck, um, who Welbeck caused us problems at the end of last season playing up front. Um, I think back to that goal that he scored and how angry I was about Urentes <laughs> defending for that goal. Um, but he's started the season like on fire, playing as like a um, sort of almost like an old-fashioned number nine, like bullying defenders and stuff. And not that they go really direct all the time because they weren't particularly direct against West Ham. Um, but when they do that, he is really good. Uh, and I, I could maybe see them doing that against us. Um, and yeah, strengths, other strengths are I just think that they've got good quality technical players like all throughout the team. I really like uh, Leandro Trossard, although I wonder whether he might play in a different position because he's been playing left wing back and uh, Estupinian uh, is, is now there, uh, came on against West Ham. Pascal Gross, uh, Caicedo uh, and McAllister is a really nice uh, midfield three. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're, they're a team that's able to dominate the ball. They're a team that's able to press high if they want to press high they can drop into blocks if they need to I just think they're a very adaptable team in terms of weaknesses I don't know if I'd say it's necessarily a weakness of their approach 
but I still have them in pegged as a team that um, even though they can be better than you, they can always give you a chance to win um, because they still aren't particularly clinical, although they're not as bad as they once were in that regard where you basically knew they would batter teams, miss all their chances and then give away a big chance that they concede from. But I, there's still like an element of that to them where I always feel like there's a chance. Um, and I think they, I can't remember if this is right. I don't know what it's been like this season, but I think they were quite weak defending set pieces, uh, which will be interesting because we've obviously now become a good team from from attacking set pieces. Um, so yeah, that that's something that I would be looking out for. Not really come up against a high pressing team really so far. Uh, I guess you'd think Southampton would be that, but how do you think that a, a really high press would trouble a marsh build up situation? Do you think that that is a good way of stopping leads from being dangerous? I mean, it could be, but I would also say. I would also say that we should be pretty good ourselves at just banging it up there and then counter pressing. Um, yeah, get get Aronson, Harrison, James, Adams to win those second balls and and see where it goes from there. Like uh, it's not particularly a way that I love to see, um, but I I would think that Koch and and Urente should be able to just ping it forwards if needs be. Um, and I, I think it'd be interesting to see how we cope in in build up now under a bit more pressure. Now that we have a, a double pivot, so it's not just like you need to get the ball into Phillips. Uh, there's two midfielders there that that should provide more of an exit for the back four. And I think that I've particularly enjoyed watching Rocker not just when he's actually got the ball, but I think he has been good at like commanding our build-up uh if you watch him he's really kind of yeah signaling he's constantly communicating to to the back four saying move here pass here wait there hold the ball like that kind of thing where I think we just looked super flustered last season when we got pressed and to a degree the season before but I think it was at its worst point last season um, so it'd just be interesting if we do get pressed here. Could Rocker like help us in in that regard? Well, let's take a look at Leeds in terms of injuries. I'm guessing it's just Luke Ayling and Liam Cooper that are out. I think I think that it's that in terms of the the first teamers that might be coming close. We've still got Furpo's not going to be back, and then it's a question of will Bamford be back or not. Um, there's conflicting reports about whether he's just got a knock or, or whether whether it's something where he's out for longer. Like it kind of felt like on the Leeds podcast, he was suggesting that he was definitely not playing, and then Marsh was saying maybe he was playing, and then it's like, is he actually injured or has he just got a bit of a knock? Like I don't know, who knows? But uh, as I said, I think Pat could be back, but not actually in the starting eleven. Uh, Brighton have been lining up in a three-five-two formation so far this season. So, how do you expect that to impact our structure? Do you think we'll just go exactly the same way as we have so far? Yeah, I mean, I wondered if we might do that back five that we did against bigger teams uh, at the end of last season against Chelsea, but we still lined up in the four-two-three-one. So, 
I would presume we would do that as well with Brighton uh, because we would probably be more nervous about playing Chelsea than we would Brighton. And I guess we don't have to necessarily think in the way that we tended to think under Bielsa, like every time there was a formation change, we would have a formation change. I don't think that's going to be how we necessarily are with Marsh. Not to say that he never will, because I think he will at times. But I think he might make more formation changes when he thinks we're not particularly playing well. Um, and he thinks I need to try something different rather than I need to do this to adapt to what the opposition are doing. And so how do you expect us to line up in that structure then? Exactly the same as the starting eleven last week? I would be surprised if we changed the team unless we were forced to change the team. So, yeah, four-two-three-one, basically as it was, uh, unless someone like Sinistera like plays incredibly well uh, in midweek and, and forces himself into the team or something like that. Well, we've already talked about a few of the, the tactical issues at play. Um, I suppose we've talked about how we'll deal with Brighton's high press. Do you have any thoughts on how... Um, how Graham Potter will deal with our high press. I suppose Graham Potter always managed to cause us problems under Bielsa um, and that does suggest that he would be able to deal with a fairly high intensity press although as we've already talked at length in this podcast episode there are big differences between those two pressing systems so do you think that he will still see Brighton sort of be able to control the game in some senses which is what I always think happened in those in those Bielsa-Potter affairs? Yeah, I think the thing that always stuck out to me when we played Brighton before was how they just nullified us when we had the ball. Uh, but it is fair to say that they probably we didn't particularly f- fluster them in terms of pressing. But I think the thing that stood out to me was it, we just could never get into any really good areas to create chances because they were so smart about how they kept us away from from getting there. Um yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's like the way Leeds are pressing right now is pretty different to how most teams in the league will be pressing, like in terms of like the actual intensity of getting pressed by three or four players at the same time. That can make um that can make any of even the best build up players panic. Um so I kind of find it hard to call. Like I think if we nail the timings of the press, even if they're set up well to deal with it, they could struggle. Um, but equally, as I've mentioned already, he went. He just decided to just try to negate that against Manchester United by just smashing it forwards as early as possible and looking to hit Welbeck and then going from there. I would expect that is what they will try to do. Uh, and if they do that, that could cause us problems. Um and that, as I said, that was kind of the way that Chelsea made that chance in the first half where I thought they would take the lead. They they missed out our press and Mount didn't take the chance. But um, yeah, I think Welbeck is probably better at like roughing up our centre-backs in that kind of situation than Havertz uh, was and he, and he won that one. So that's kind of what I would guess will happen. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I feel like it's... It's a fine line between our system working and not working and and that fine line can just be determined by teams just making sure that they avoid those situations right um and so if you are if they are able to avoid this the situation where we're able to counter press then that's a big chunk of our attacking approach that's just sort of taken away um and I, I suppose the other thing I would say is that Graham Potter is just a smart guy and you know that I feel like our press is very 
I don't want to say one-dimensional because I think that's unfair, but I think it's very rigid. It's like we press the same way every game. We don't change the structure. And I wonder whether or not that means that, that Potter will just have a watch of a few of our games and, and, and come up with some way of, of being able to play around that in some sense. Um, do you have any thoughts on either of those? It's hard to say. I think I don't fully know why I feel it, but I, I feel like he will come up. Like you say, we just know that he is a, a smart manager who is good at um, creating different tactical plans for different opponents uh, he he doesn't have that kind of really set way of playing, and he's nailed that against better teams than us. Like he nailed that against Arsenal and and Spurs at the end of last season. Um, so that's uh, yeah, I do kind of think he probably will come up with a way of doing that. Although I would probably say that what I felt in those games was the thing that he really nailed was the off the ball shape, and then once they won it, they were clinical and what they did from from there whereas I feel like they're probably going to be more the team dictating this time around um so whether that changes the dynamic at all I don't know because I think the way that we play right now we would prefer not to be the team with the ball a lot um and try we actually want to try and dictate the play when we don't have the ball um, and that's something that Marsh said after the Chelsea games. Like he said, our way of playing like controlled the game, um, even if we obviously didn't control the ball a lot. Um, and I think Potter, although I wouldn't call him an against the ball manager, like that's what he did well in those games against Spurs and and against Arsenal. Um, so almost, I feel like Potter could be best off like letting us have the ball a bit more because I don't know whether we would be able to play through them uh, and then they could counter on us themselves. But do we expect them to do that at, at the Amex? The Spurs game in particular of the games that Brighton played last season is interesting because I think Conte's system is so vulnerable to teams who work out how their build-up patterns work and just stick players in the passing lanes and just hoover up any attempts to progress the ball forward. And I do think that might be the more the more dangerous uh, aspect here. So I've got a question about how Brighton are going to deal with direct attacking and counter-pressing, but I suppose so much of our play is based around getting the ball into those central spaces that if they can keep those central spaces and those passing options fairly closed by, by smart positioning of midfielders, we may just not even be able to get the ball into those situations where we want to counter press um if that makes sense it's strange because if you if you're trying to play like a chaotic style of football then you to a degree you need your opponent to like respond to what you're doing in order for you to create chaos if they just think well we're just going to clog up this space and we're not going to abandon that space even if we manage to win the ball what we then want to do is quickly go through the middle or quickly go uh, high up the pitch. If they're just clogged that up, that's hard to do. Um, so I think they could shut that down, but then equally they are they're going to want to attack themselves. They're not. It's not like they're going to just set up to stop us scoring. Like they want to win this game. It's a home game for them. They are a team that will think of themselves as being above Leeds at this period of time. So I think they'll want to dictate the game with the ball. Uh, and so I think probably our 
maybe our best chances more than counter pressing this time around might be actually in counter attacking like and then if we lose the ball when we're in the middle of a counter attack when they're perhaps a bit more stretched and then we counter press that then that might kind of bring something whereas i don't think necessarily if we just lose the ball when they're in a a set defense and then we counter press i'm not sure that's gonna lead to something in the same way that it did like against chelsea or, or against southampton we need to start drawing this discussion to a close but i could have carried it on for a little bit longer but i'll ask the question that we always ask so where will the game be won or lost for the weekend yeah i mean i think it's kind of in that area that, that we just talked about if if brighton can um can dictate the play with the ball then i think they've got enough technical quality in them that i think they probably will um will find a way to pass through us on a, on a couple of occasions and, and create some chances to win the game um but if we can be solid enough uh, defensively if we can probably defend in that sort of similar mid block with the situational high high press um there will be something that comes our way and then it's are we able to maximize it in in the way that that we did um that we did against uh Chelsea and and how we did in those moments against Wolves um and yeah i i i kind of feel like at the moment i feel like set pieces could be crucial in in nearly every game um i i don't think we're going to continue to score for a goal from a set piece in every game of the season but i do feel for the first time like we might create a good chance from a set piece often um and if if brighton are still weak in that area that could be a way in which we get some joy well find out if we do get any joy by watching the game this weekend (laughs) and popping back because we will be doing another podcast next week looking back at that but josh it's been great having you on everyone make sure you check out josh's patreon stuff at www.patreon.com forward slash asaw and with that we arrive at the end of the podcast so see you later josh thanks mate Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>